0: An episode where we cut nothing for the sake of time because it's worth talking about everything.
1: Yeah, you know, unlike a sermon, a live sermon, you can pause this and come back to it. You don't have to, you know, going for an hour now isn't, isn't a problem because you can take all week to listen to it.
0: I know you've been doing so much research, and so what you do get to share with us is just a small portion of everything mm-hmm. that you've learned and absorbed. Um, so this is just another opportunity for us to get, like, you know, a little bit more knowledge from what you guys, what you've been studying and what Jeff has been studying over the last few months. Yeah,
1: yeah. no, I'm looking forward to it. So we got some more good, com- uh, good questions. I think we'll have a good conversation today.
0: Yeah, and... Um, questions, keep them rolling, keep sending them in. Even if um, you're listening to this podcast and you've got follow-up questions from our conversation Mm -hmm. today, um, or it brings up things from the sermon, send them in anytime and we'll follow up with them in the next episode. So, um, all right, Joey, let's start with a word choice question. So Jesus chose the most uh, extreme word choice for sexual desire, something that you had said, like there's a variety of words he could have chosen to use. Um, He chose one that was more extreme or really intense um, does that make like somehow are we getting off the hook too easily because it's like well I don't do that I don't possess people like that whereas if he would have said something that was um, maybe less intense it'd be like oh it seems like it's easier to convict our own hearts right mm-hmm. yeah um, sure, so sure are we getting off the hook easily or um, does it make our feelings less than
1: yeah no it's, it's that's a really good question because um right the church throughout history doesn't have a great track record on recognizing the the uh, beauty of married sex the way god designed it um and a lot of this stems from augustine though applying it like putting it all at his feet is probably too much so you've got a guy um, a guy like St Augustine, who himself he would describe himself it, if he were to describe himself today, it would be in terms like a sexual addict, right? This is a guy who could not control um, his lusts, and so when he became a Christian and continued to battle this, you know he he kind of swung to an opposite side of the the pendulum, whatever to an opposite extreme and basically said that. And again, he contradicts himself in different places because, you know, he's a human being who evolved and changed his thinking in different times, different sermons, whatever. But but the one that everybody remembers is him essentially saying that, hey, sex is a necessary evil in order to create children. Okay. And um, so the church has sort of, we've glommed onto that. Sense or that feeling, you know, when you talk about being puritanical, you're usually talking about perspectives on sex. When you're talking about being medieval, you're talking about perspectives on sex that it is a a dirty thing that that you know God is like um, surprised, you know, for some reason. It's almost like God was surprised when you know the first time he's walking through the garden and sees Adam and Eve, and he's like, "What are you guys doing? Right? Like, no, stop! You know, of course not." Um, But we sort of get that that sense from church history that sex is such a dirty thing that um, don't talk about it you know god obviously isn't okay with this but hey at least you know at least you can make children um so that makes it not okay but necessary um so part of i think the, the the importance of focusing on the word choice that Jesus makes or that Matthew in his Greek translation of Jesus is preaching in Aramaic or Hebrew or whatever, you know, the, the form we have it in, in, in the Gospel of Matthew puts it in such, um, it uses this really stark term for desiring another person for the purpose of using them for your own, you know, your own purposes, um, for your own needs or something like that, um, is to say that, that there is a healthy side of sexual attraction. Right, not all like it, it, Jesus isn't saying that every single type of even minor, um, m- that minor attraction to another person, um, is, is sinful, is wrong. Like you shouldn't even be attracted to someone. Um, he's saying, no, look, here, the, the seed of adultery, the seed of, of actively um, pursuing and seducing another person who's in a covenant relationship with another person and actively destroying that one flesh union in order to serve yourself. The seed of that is the ability or the habit of looking at people and looking at them as things you can possess for your own use, primarily in, in the area of sexuality. So he's not saying, um, Hey, if you're, you know, you're in the, the grocery store or whatever, and you, you notice somebody's attractive, like he's not saying that's not the problem you know, you notice someone's beautiful and because someone's beautiful, you notice attraction. Um, and I don't mean like a disordered attraction where you're like, oh, all of a sudden you can't, you can't stop thinking about the person you can't, you know, and you, and you, you want to go over and like hit on them or something like that. That's not what, you know, that's not the good kind of attraction that's disordered here. We're saying, Hey, I can recognize that's a beautiful person. And that recognition that that person is beautiful is like, that's fine. Um, that's what beauty does. It, it's designed to like beauty attracts, beauty draws. That's why we keep talking about how God is beautiful. Um, beauty always draws people to it. That's the way it works. Um, so just noticing somebody is beautiful is not what Jesus has in mind here. Um, noticing someone is beautiful. And even, you know, if you're single, they're single, whatever, noticing somebody is beautiful and, and thinking to yourself, like, I would like to get to know that person uh, more is not, the problem here the problem is noticing that person is beautiful and immediately um, shifting it into a fantasy of if I only had that person, I would be happy I would be satisfied I would you know all my problems would be taken care of I would um, you know i'd finally make it or something like that so so that's where um, I don 't want to say we 're getting let off easy because it's very easy for us to immediately go to that area right um, but It's a a specific word choice, I think, because it's not condemning the entirety, you know, the whole range of attraction.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, It's condemning the possessing, the desire to possess another, not the being attracted to someone else.
0: Okay. So um, we're going to come back to that because I do have a few questions about – how can you
1: like where's the line right the line? like what's like, okay what's attractive
0: and yeah then you even said like if you desire to get to know them well okay but what if your desire to get to know them is motivated by uh being able to some <laughs> like uh possess them in some way well then that is wrong so right okay right. we're gonna That's come correct. back to yep. this I've we'll got come back to questions. it questions let's um all right so we're not getting off too easily um still with word choice okay i have a question someone submitted if the audience that's hearing this message knows the word Jesus did choose and also Mm -hmm. would know the words he decided not to use in this context, um, would they apply the same idea of um, possessing one for personal gain and would they apply it and extend it to the practice of slavery? Not just sexual slavery, but just slavery Mm -hmm. in general. Um, Would there be overlap there at all? Or do you think that it's maybe that didn't really register like it's not quite the same way to go about it
1: yeah it'd be hard for me to guess like uh, did it register in that way you know towards slavery or something like that i mean obviously maybe i shouldn't say obviously um we see of course throughout the new testament a pushing back on practices like slavery like the possession of other people from a number of different fronts you know one of them is just the human dignity front the image of god in people and as you work that out the image of god in everyone you work that out and think it through like can you really own another person no you can't own the image of god right Um, you can't slander someone else who's carrying the image of god when you kill someone else who's made in the image of god like there's there's ramifications to that so in this case um I would say I don't know if um, this preaching, this word choice immediately like applies in that or would have immediately resonated in sort of that question, um, given how prevalent slavery was at the time and still was for centuries afterwards. You know, is that one of those areas where it's like uh, it just didn't occur to anyone that this was a problem? You know, I don't know. Um, But one person did email me directly after the sermon and said, like, man, you're getting right at the heart of the Christian ethic which you can almost summarize as, you know, use things, love people. Um, now, there's, there's a whole lot more to Christianity than just that, the, that behavioral outworking, um, the, than just that part of the ethic. But, you know, loving things and using people is a huge problem. <laughs> using things and loving people is the, the right balance there. And that same kind of formula would show up if we were talking about um, something like greed. You know, a a disordered or an inordinate desire for money um, almost always manifests itself in a desire to use people in in order to love money instead of using money in order to love people. Right. So um, I think you can you could make a very good argument against slavery from this same idea of look if it's not okay to possess another person sexually, is it okay to possess another person at all for any purpose? for any reason
0: yeah okay yeah so it's a good question
1: i'm glad i'm glad that one was asked
0: yeah all right joey so we've got quite a few personal application questions right like Mm -hmm. where's the line what's this look like how is this practically lived out in our lives and i think it's going to be difficult to answer because i think it's going to be different for everybody because i think that god calls us not that you have a different standard than I do, but God knows my heart and my struggles Mm -hmm. and he knows your heart and your struggles. And so um, you might be called, or I might be called to be to cut off the arm a little bit or gouge up my eye a little bit more intensely than the other person has to, because I know my shortcomings and God knows my shortcomings. So these might be difficult to answer directly, um, but go, you're going to do great. I know we will do great. And then people we are just going to encourage you to uh, um, consider your, your heart and your shortcomings and how do you how does this fit in with your life
1: mm-hmm. in all of these questions i want to make sure we frame this to understand that jesus's emphasis on the heart is designed to get us to to recognize we are not trying to come up with like the wrong approach to this is coming up with lines that should not be crossed um, the focus on the heart means that this whole uh this whole discussion needs to to uh, come around a question of is the behavior I'm engaging in moving me in the right direction or the wrong direction. Um, one quote I didn't use from a book I recommended last week called divine sex. Um, the guy says that, that, uh, whereas contemporary culture thinks about sex mainly as an experience scripture and Christian tradition have always thought about it in terms of virtue or character Christian sexuality then is primarily something we are becoming rather than something we do. So Christian sexuality is not about finding lines you should not cross, it's about becoming the type of person who can love other people well in in their entirety of, you know, every aspect of their human of their humanity including sexually, which means including loving others well sexually. So that's exercising temperance. Um, meaning not engaging in sexually, sexual attraction, sexual behavior with anyone other than the one you're in a one-flesh covenant relationship with. Uh, so it it's a it's about developing the virtue of ordered sexuality, not about finding lines and trying to stay within those those boundaries, those borders.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Joey, can you talk about an application of this text for people who are single, whether it's somebody who's never been married or people who have been widowed?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. So, um, so especially where that question lands, um, for those who are single, those who are widowed, those who are divorced, newly single, those who you know just divorced or divorced a long mm-hmm. time, um, a lot of it's going to come, man, to, to individual um, experiences, like how, how are you going to work this out? I had one older person, um, after first hour asked me if I was going to preach anything next week that they might struggle with. Um, because in their words, I'm too old for this to be a problem anymore. Hmm. Well, we're never too old to uh, believe wrong things. So hopefully at least some of the foundational beliefs were helpful there. But I think this person was talking in terms of like lust, like I've never, you know, I don't even worry about this anymore. Um, for a single person, never married. Um, Or, or married but now divorced and single.
0: Or high school Um, student or college. High school student, student,
1: exactly. High school student, college student, single, never married. um, Yes. uh, Whatever age, I think a couple of uh, a couple of thoughts come to mind. Number one is the married state is a calling. It's a vocation. Um, Being single is also a calling. It's a vocation, and it is a calling on every single person until. Uh, the calling changes to being called to being married. Uh, In other words, single isn't like a waiting period, and like you're just waiting for marriage, which is the real calling. Singleness is itself a calling. Um, Meaning singleness and the the faithfulness to a biblical sexual ethic, uh, to a Christian sexuality in singleness is just as much a calling to faithfulness as the calling to faithfulness within a married context is. Um, chastity is the the old word often used for it chastity is not a negative thing meaning chastity is not um you know living the same kind of life as a married person but minus the sex Um, it's not about just taking things out chastity is still just like chastity in marriage is about um ordering your sexuality and your sexual desires in the right direction. That's the exact same thing you're doing when you're single. You're ordering your sexuality and your sexual desires in the right direction. It's a constructive enterprise. It's a thing you have to work at. You have to work at it in marriage just as much as you have to work at it in singleness. Um, It's often um, overlooked, but I've heard others say this and I would concur that, you know, after a certain number of years of doing pastoral counseling, you start to hear the same things from people, whether they're single or married, that something along the lines of, you know, I'm, I'm singled and I am, I'm single and I am so alone in my singleness. And from married folks, you hear a lot. I am married and I am so alone in my marriage. Um, being married or being single isn't the, you know, the, the solution to all of your, um, to the problem of the desire to be united with someone else. It just doesn't magically go away. So both singleness and the chastity, the faithfulness required in singleness and marriage and the chastity, the faithfulness required in marriage uh, are both constructive enterprises whereby you are building virtue in your life through habits, practices, disciplines, confessions. Um, They are oriented in slightly different directions because of that vocational state that you're in. Both are trying to order sexuality correctly, but they're, they're going slightly different from the, um, you know, in the married state of expressing sexuality appropriately within that one-flesh union. And in the single state, it's expressing your sexuality appropriately without being in a one-flesh union. So they show up slightly differently. Um, so keep that in mind, first of all. Second of all, I'd say for those, uh, again, who are single, um, the extent to which we obey God's um, sort of rules in this area and look for lines not to cross in this area, the extent to which we, we practice that obedience because we believe that at some point in the future, God's going to reward us for it by giving us this thing that we're currently not participating in uh, is, a, uh, is a, a mistaken way of looking at what God is calling us to uh, in sexual faithfulness. Um, so others have have used this phrase before, so I'm borrowing it from others. But th- this is essentially a sexual prosperity gospel, right? If you yes. you, know, you know you're familiar with, hey, if you just if you just tithe, if you just give, if you just serve, like God's going to bring it back to you tenfold, right? Um, but for some reason, we don't realize it's, that's the same kind of thing when we tell high school students or we tell um, single college students or, you know, single, whoever, like, hey, if you're just faithful here, like God has the perfect person p- picked out for you and he's going to bring that person along. And, you know, if you just wait and you trust and you rely on him, he's going to bring that perfect person just for you because you were faithful, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I hope it works out that way for you, Um, but it doesn't usually because like anyone who's been married more than 24 hours knows it takes work and there's no such thing as a perfect person. And even if you married a perfect person, you're not perfect. And so you're going to be a struggle for them (laughs) just as much as they're going to be a struggle for you. Right. So um, one thing I would say is, are you you obeying because you believe in the sexual prosperity gospel? That itself is a kind of a manipulative way of saying like, I'll obey here in order to get, in order to get this later, get something I want more, Um, which isn't, is not what God intended in terms of um, our Christian sexuality. And it's exactly what Jesus was saying is the problem. The problem isn't, Hey, you know, you, you didn't, uh, you didn't give into adultery, like good job. Like the problem is in your heart, you're doing what you're doing for the wrong reasons. Right. So hopefully that helps as well. Um, I'll admit I'm a bit I'm a bit stymied or at a loss or have a lack of imagination for how to say like how does this apply to somebody who's older and widowed? Um, and so I would love to hear from some older um, widowed or widowers who have have thought this through in their own lives of like, yeah, after fifty years of of loving, faithful relationship with my wife, with my husband, now not having that, like, how do I think about and express um, still being a, a, you know, a sexual being like God created us. Um, Off the top of my head, I I would say that there, there, I would hope that there's a measure of celebration of the gift that God had given over that period of time. Um, even though that gift is is withdrawn now, and hopefully not just a celebration of the gift, but the ability to say to others, and especially those of us that are younger, um, that that a lifetime of married faithfulness, you know, is worth the work. That is really worth the work. Somewhere I, I ran across the line in some of my reading that um, the beauty of both single faithfulness and married faithfulness, the beauty of it is often uh, invisible or opaque to those who are not already in that state experiencing that beauty. That um, to be single and chaste is uh, does not appear attractive except to those um, who are in that, in that state um, for the right reasons and in the right ways. They're the, they're, they're the ones who are able to experience it in a way that, that those who aren't in that state can't, um, just can't seem to appreciate. And, and I, I think the same thing is true of, of those of us who are married and faithful, that being married and faithful is hard work, and yet if you've done it, you know it is so much better than than being married and being unfaithful even though maybe in that moment you're like oh this is great i get you know best of both worlds but to be married and faithful is so much better even though it's so much harder
0: yeah yeah okay that was a (laughs) big one and i think that at this
1: rate we're it's gonna take us three
0: hours (laughs) (laughs) i mean i would really like to hear from somebody who is like you said um Mm -hmm. um widowed or a widower and um or even from other people who are saying, You know, uh, what, an, does, yeah. what, what does this look like for you? Another and, couple of
1: thoughts. Yes. Um, one, I know Women of Faith has a panel discussion coming up uh, in a couple of months. Yes, yes about, uh, let's talk about intimacy. Um,
2: yep, and, in uh,
1: July. In July, okay, awesome. Yes. So maybe we can include that in the show notes. Sure. But um, you know, I, I, another book that I would recommend, it's not really on this topic, but it's called uh, Handle With Care. How Jesus Redeems the Power of Touch. And it's a fascinating book about how our fear in the Christian world, our fear of even the slightest sort of temptation has has made it so that um, many people, especially those who are single, those who are widowed, widowed, can go um, days, weeks, months without any physical contact from another human being. Um, because ah, I just wouldn't be appropriate for, you know, for me to hug you because I'm a man and you're a woman. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'd read that book, um, and was interacting with some of our older ladies, older, uh, widows, um, here. And, um, I gave one of them a hug and she just said, Oh, I don't get enough of those these days. Um, and it's like, Oh, it just hit me. Right. You know, (laughs) Um, so now I'm, I'm trying to find people and just, and, and give those hugs. Right. And it's like, these are women who are 50 years older than me. Right. Um, this is not a problem for either of us. Um, but as brothers and sisters in Christ, it is more important for us to, to embrace one another, um, to, to meet what is an actual physical, we are embodied souls. Right. We, we are not brains just interacting through these flesh bags or whatever. Like it means something to hug someone. Mm-hmm. It means something to have that kind of physical touch. And especially for our younger folks who are single and perhaps living alone or just with a roommate, I mean, for many single adults, um, the only way to get any sort of physical touch is either through a pet or through an inappropriate relationship? Because in the church, we're just like, hands off, right? Mm-hmm. Don't touch. Um, so anyway, I found that whole thing fascinating, and, and, and then I just made that one question take even longer. So.
0: <laughs> it's okay. Um, and I would like to just say it's worth mentioning that for the women's panel there is a single edition singles edition and a married edition oh great and so um women can choose which one they need to attend um they're on different evenings or once in the evening and once in the morning um so anyways yeah we can link information in our show notes and it is this july awesome um okay joey continuing this idea of practical application did you purposefully omit mentioning pornography as a way that lust manifests it manifests itself in our lives when you um said mm-hmm. source and then symptoms i think that i was maybe and maybe other people were expecting to hear some symptoms like uh i don't know like Watching, viewing pornography regularly or that type of addiction. Um, And so, did you purposefully omit that? And then, can you talk about some radical ways that people who are maybe caught up in pornography can cut off the source or the practice of lust.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll start by saying to any parents who are listening, if you have kids that are listening with you, now would probably be a good time to pause and um, listen to the rest of this on your own. And because that's part of the reason I didn't go there with, um, with this week's sermon, because we're gearing it for like 10 and 11 year olds and up. Um, there's, a f- you know, there's a few years there at the kind of bottom of this age range. Where we've got um, 10 year olds, 11 year olds, 12 year olds who are aware that pornography exists, but don't understand why. Um, They know, you know, good pictures, bad pictures, like, oh, that that makes me feel weird. Like, why did I see that? You know, they know that much, but don't understand yet that that's something that people actively create and go looking for in order to feel a certain thing or have a certain experience. And I didn't want to be the one to introduce that to this you know set of 10 11 12 maybe 13 year olds in the congregation um anyone who heard what i was saying and thought that pornography still got a pass is already doing enough mental justifications and mental gymnastics that there's nothing I could have said that would have convinced them that this would, that that pornography is, you know, not okay. Right. So, so I wasn't worried with leaving it out because I think uh, most of us um, who are 14 or older, like understood what was not being said right um i'm still debating next week on how explicit i need to be on this particular topic and if that would can mean that hey we should probably let some you know sixth graders on down step out if necessary or give parents more of a heads up that hey i'm gonna i'm gonna talk right because again i already told parents like hey if your kids aren't you know um for kids still listening, like pause it, like right now, pause it. Because one of the things I didn't include is as you're walking down the list of how sex or how lust reduces the full multidimensional sexuality down, it just keeps reducing it and reducing it and reducing it. By the time you get to the point where you have removed even other people from this, this it's not even another person. Now it's just someone on a screen or a picture, right? And you have, um, You have taken the entire uh, multidimensional beauty of married sex and you have reduced it down to an orgasm with a picture. Like how can you not see how reductive that is? Um, It's just, it's absolutely devastating to the gift um, that God has given. So if you think that you can justify that um, based on what we talked about this last Sunday, right? Like, yeah, there's nothing I could have said to, to change your mind on it. So um,
0: You said if it's reduced to you alone and a picture, what if it's just reduced to one person alone? Because in my mind this is something that God has created for man and woman to experience together. Mm-hmm. So if one man or one woman experience it on their own, is that a problem? Right. Someone once told me I had gotten engaged. Someone at where I went to school had said to me, She's like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad my husband masturbates because I would have have the responsibility of making sure he's fulfilled more than I already do. So glad I don't have to do that. And I was like, you're okay with this? And she was like, oh my gosh, yes, it's great. People, And she's a Christian. And she's like, Christians should be totally fine with this. And I'm like, but he's, but it's separating. He's doing mm-hmm. all the same. He's getting all the same pleasure that you guys should be doing experiencing together, but he's doing it on his own.
1: Right. I think that's a great question because Uh, again, the point is not to try to figure out like, where's the line between what's okay, and what's not okay, the point is, is to figure out is to ask yourself that question of is what I'm doing, making me better at engaging with an another person in a one flesh union and expressing um, my covenant commitment to them through our sexual activity, right? and when you reduce so when you reduce it all the way down to to that or you say like no it's totally fine that my husband's taking care of himself cuz then i don't need to then you're saying okay so in our relationship sex is a way that we uh, we show affection for one another and uh, it's it's a burden and it's an obligation and i you know i have a duty so i guess i'll i'll you know i'll live up to this duty as much as i can but as much as he can make it easier great well that that's not that's not the two of you trying to figure out how together you express um, you express your covenant commitment to one another through sex. Um, that's the two individuals saying, how do we make this as, uh, how do we take this, you know, quote unquote, physical need, um, and experience it the best we can without annoying the other person. Mm -hmm. So it's Mm -hmm. okay, fine. So he makes it, you know, you can justify it by saying he's making it easier on you. He's not. Because, in in multiple ways, A, you are becoming, your friend in this example is becoming the kind of person who is um, okay with uh, other people. um, You know, her husband in this case, basically, um, how do I wanna say this? She's becoming okay with devaluing sex to the point where it's fine for him to just take care of himself. He's becoming the kind of person who finds sex with himself easier, more convenient and less um you know less difficult than actual sex with his wife Mm -hmm. which means their relationship is not going to get better and their sexual relationship is not going to get better as she tolerates it and he practices it because they're actively pulling in different in different directions Mm -hmm. um they're not learning how to it's it's always This, this feels obvious to say, sex with an actual other human being is always more difficult, right? Yeah. Uh, whereas, because you have to consider
0: someone else. Because you have to consider, you have to consider have to another person, it right? You, you, have
1: to, you have to actually treat the other person as a person, not an object or an image. Yep. Um, you actually have to consider the other person. And if the point of a Christian marriage is to find and build and create this emotional and physical union with the other person and to, um, to learn how to like, to learn how to live with another person in an understanding way, as scripture says, to live with another person in a way that, that causes both of you to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Then how in the world is like separating from each other in this area, actually moving in that direction right Mm -hmm. again the point is not is this a line that i've crossed the point is is this activity drawing us together and expressing through sexuality our covenantal commitment to one another and our faithfulness and exclusivity to one another Mm -hmm. Um, and if you can really you know if you can make an argument that yeah that does uh, i'd love to see those mental gymnastics Mm -hmm. Um, yeah
0: Mm-hmm. Interestingly, I don't know if this gives you a different perspective. I think she and her husband had probably been married for 20 or more years.
1: Hmm. No, I mean, that, yeah, that's interesting. And it add, of course, it adds a, a few more layers. Um, one, one thing, and I think we'll talk about this a little bit more next week when we're looking at Paul um, and his letters to the Corinthians. Um, uh, often, we, we camp on this um, duty language like you need to fulfill uh your marital duty to mm-hmm. one another mm-hmm. right and, and paul's clear about that um i want to point out and i'll point it out again i'm sure on sunday that he's he's speaking into a culture where anything goes and it's expected that husbands will um that they get married in for status in a family and they go to a prostitute or a mistress for sex okay that's just the That's expected. That's how everyone behaves. Um, and so into this world, Jesus or Paul is writing and he's taking Jesus's teachings. He's writing and saying, look, no, the the point of the marriage is uniting. Like all of this should be here, um, in the marriage, not elsewhere. So you have a duty to one another to limit your sexual expression to the marriage, which means you each have a duty a responsibility to the other, to, um, to, to make sure that you are being with each other and only, you know, not only abstaining for a time. If you've together agreed, you're going to focus on prayer or something, you know, something else. Um, so we, we take that and we're like, see, you know what, she has a duty and she's not living up to it. Um, I deserve, I'm, uh, you know, I deserve this level of satisfaction or this frequency of sexual experience or something mm-hmm. like that. And she has a duty and she's not, uh, living up to it. Um, in, Instead of, right, so the the assumption there is that if she has a duty um, to fulfill me, then I have the right to be fulfilled. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Camping on our rights is never where Jesus wants us to be. Of saying, I have a right to this and therefore you must do it, right? We're always called to give up our rights for the sake of the other person. So saying to a wife, like, hey, you have a duty to make sure I'm satisfied on a regular basis is insisting on a right instead of a calling to, uh, instead of resting in the calling of, Hey, actually I'm going to conform my desires to what is good. Not say it's, it's, we're being called to transcend our rights and give up our rights, not to double down on our rights in order to get other people to do for us what we want without ever considering that maybe what I want isn't right. Right. And that's what needs to change.
0: Yes. And that kind of also gives me a flashback to last week's conversation The towards the end of um, like our love language conversation. About yeah, like how, right, how right, You can tell somebody, apparently we can tell people, hey, you can love me this way instead of using the love languages to say, um, hey, how can I love you? Well, Right, right. right. And so um, it kind of, I think those go hand in hand. So if someone missed last week's conversation, I encourage them to go back and listen to that. Um, okay. All so right. How many questions it. have we covered
1: so far? Well, one? You still have two? To
0: ask, or you still have to <laughs> answer the second half of that question, which is, can you give us some radical ways people caught up in pornography? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Could cut off this source and practice of lust.
1: Okay. So I think one thing we should, there's a couple things we should keep in mind. Number one, um, if you are under 60, then pornography affects your relationships, whether or not, you or your spouse actively uses pornography at all like this has been sociologically the studies are done to show like the actual sort of pornification of our culture means that that especially women are now expected to dress in a certain way present in a certain way and perform in a certain way um all largely influenced by uh the pornography culture right there's a reason that um, before the widespread advent of pornography you would never see uh, magazines that were advertising to women like 10 ways to blow his mind or or five positions to try this week or something like that right because no one was expecting um sexual expression to be novel and new and, and we didn't have these sort of cultural scripts or in some cases like actual movie scripts of what sex was supposed to look like
0: you're saying um, that was, we didn't have that 60 years ago.
1: We so didn't have it. I'd say more like a hundred years ago, but uh, yeah, more like a hundred years ago. So what I'm saying okay. is if, if, uh, uh, I'm almost 40 and at the time this research came out, they were saying if you're 50 and younger, so, you know, add 10 years. Um, cause that was 10 years ago. If, you know, if, if, uh, it's like, how old are your parents? Uh, 62, 62. All right. So they're off the hook. Right. But like, Hey, if you're in your fifties, um, you, one thing you need to recognize is if you're in, you're in your fifties or younger then even if neither you or your spouse are actively using pornography, it is affecting the way you think about what, uh, what kinds of sexual experiences you're supposed to have, um, in your marriage. So, uh, so we have to keep that in mind, um, because it's influencing everything. I mean, why else do we see um, you know, Halloween costumes advertised at eight-year-olds that are like sexy nurse and stuff mm-hmm. like that? Like that's not appropriate. It's not okay. Right. But for some reason that sells because, I don't know, are there 30-year-old moms out there that think dressing their eight-year-old up like that is a great idea? Where does that come from? It's come from the yes. pornification of our, our society. Um, the biggest struggle I've found in talking with um, – different men and women who struggle with this, mostly men, obviously, um, is we are so committed to radical freedom that we aren't willing to give up our freedom in order to create the restrictions that, l- that allow us to more freely pursue better things. Right. Um, let, let me put it this way. Um, part of the reason I was talking about those earlier stats about pornography influencing everything is because you know, I've got a smartphone right here, right? Um, everybody's got smartphones, devices. What, when I was a kid, required like an uncle to go to a gas station and buy a magazine and then hide it somewhere. Um, now anybody with a, a device can get access to all of this stuff. Um, and of course it's all, it's marketed in such a way that you know, the entry level is free. So you don't have to pay anything until you get hooked and then you're willing to pay for more and more and more. Um, So it's everywhere. And most of us are so radically committed to our own personal autonomy and freedom that we are unwilling to put restrictions into our own lives that prevent us from doing things uh, that we would otherwise want to do, right? right? So I, um, on this phone, on, on my phone, on my device, right? Um, I don't have a web browser. Um, I don't have a web browser on it. It's not because I have some huge battle with lust, um, but it's because I would waste a lot of time surfing the internet if, uh, you know, if this was on here. Now, what's a positive flip side is I never look at my phone and am tempted to be mm-hmm. like, gosh, I wonder what I could find on there um, because I've got this restriction in place. Um, I've got you know, covenant eyes on my laptop, on my desktop. Um, mm-hmm. And those reports go to my father-in-law right? Cause he has a vested yeah. interest in this, the, in, marriage. in, in our marriage, right. Yeah. And in the health of our marriage. Right. So it goes to him yes. and, and he's called me out for things in the past where, um, I, either I was looking at something and it was like, Oh, Whoa, that suddenly went to, you know, that was the wrong link to click, to click on or something like that. And he's like, Hey, um, so I got your report this week. Right. And that is a huge gift to our marriage.
2: Yeah.
1: A Huge gift to our marriage. Um, most guys I talk to who say, hey, man, I want to be free from this um, don't want to be free. They want Jesus to just take away the temptation and so they can still do everything they want to do without having to ever be restricted, right?
2: Right. So
1: how radically, without giving something up.
2: Yes.
1: Um, And what I would, would want to ask is, would you rather be free to do whatever you want, wherever you want, with whomever you want, and look at whatever you want? Or would you rather be free to love your spouse if you're married or um, express your sexuality well if you're single um, and not be, would you rather be free to more better love your wife? Now, interesting statistics, um, at least from about 10 years ago, showed that most um, internet pornography use or I should say the, the, the population, the demographic that most often engages in internet pornography use is married men. Um, even more than single men. Uh, married men are the ones who are like, oh man, with another, like, another person with their own you know, needs and personality and stuff is way more difficult than whatever you can find online where there's no expectations and no one has a headache and none of that, right? Yeah.
2: Um,
1: so I'd say, hey, would you rather be free To do whatever you want, go wherever you want, look at whatever you want, or would you rather be free to love your wife well? Okay. If you're going to be free to love your life well, then here's the restrictions you put in place in in your life in order to do that. I mean, any one of us raising kids um, who play sports or play an instrument or anything like that knows like if our kid is going to be amazing at baseball or amazing at the piano or amazing at the cello or anything like that, then we are going to have to put a large number of restrictions on their freedom so that they are, not, they are free to play well, whether it's a sport or an instrument. Um, the, the Christian life, and life really in general, is all about choosing, freely choosing which restrictions you're going to place on your freedom because those restrictions will actually get you more freedom to live in the right direction sure right so the the person who says like well you know i yeah i struggle with this but no there's no way i would you know i'm not going to put a blocking software on my laptop or I'm, i'm i need a you know i need a web browser on my phone or all that um is someone who doesn't understand the the right restrictions to put in place in order to achieve the kind of freedom that that god designed them for we're not designed to be free to sin however we want we're we're supposed to be free to love well and to be free to love well requires restrictions on ourselves
0: yes and uh this sounds really familiar to a sermon or two sermons that were preached i think last series about like what's true freedom is freedom being free to do anything that you want or is true freedom like living under um what God calls us to, which does include restrictions, but that is what true flourishing looks like. Flourishing right, is not right. ultimate freedom with all like all boundaries removed. It is right. with boundaries, and this, these are the right boundaries to put in place. And I'd also say, like another fruit, is not just for you, Joey, um, in your walk with the Lord, but it's also like building trust with your wife. I imagine yeah, like Jenna sure. really appreciates that you have given up that freedom in order to um, build that trust with her and you're like what are we what we were just talking about earlier about putting, yeah. you're laying down your own rights to be able to love someone else well that you do love and you do care for. Um and so yeah, like I also am on the receiving end of a spouse who has laid down his rights to um build that trust with me and to be able to say hey i'm committed to you committed to pursuing this at all costs right Mm -hmm. um and so and I know that it does. We're not going to say it's easy. Like, Joey, I'm sure there are plenty of times you do wish you could just look something up on your phone. It's not like it's like without sacrifice, right? Like, Oh, he doesn't miss being able to just like look up this video or whatever on YouTube, but it's this idea of like, but it's worth it. Um,
1: Absolutely. The sacrifice is worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, you know, there's cliched, um, illustrations of it, of course, but like, you know, a train is freest when it's bound to the tracks. Right, what good yeah. is, a, is a train in a field that can't go anywhere? Um, a kite is only free to fly if it's bound by the string to the ground.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: otherwise it just gets blown away by the wind. And um, another illustration, I'll probably use this one on Sunday in a slightly different way, is to say like um, when you're, you know, you're in a car and you're traveling through like wilderness, um, you're really in that car only free as long as you're bound to the road. Um, everywhere else you try to go, it could kill you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same thing with our our sexuality, um, and especially for guys struggling with with porn or online uh, porn addictions and things like that. you your goal is not to be free from restrictions. Um, freedom is not a positive good. It is the frame and the context in which other positive goods can be pursued. The point is not to be free from restrictions, but to be free to love and love well. And to be free to love requires giving up some of your freedoms from restriction. Yeah. All
0: right. Well, we might be pursuing or I might be asking you a question that is just not even worth asking because we're talking about it's not about the line. It's about yeah. pursuing loving someone well. All right. Let's just say... um I want you to answer this question from the perspective, both from like someone who's single and someone who is married. Okay. How do we appreciate someone's beauty? How do we appreciate attraction without it becoming sinful? Now I don't, of course, want to draw that line, but, um, Hey, if you're single, you appreciate, there is a really handsome guy over there or there's a beautiful girl over there. Whoa. I'd love to talk to them. Um, how is that appropriate and then could you do what if you had the same thought but you're a married person and Mm -hmm. I am at the grocery store and I'm like man that's an attractive guy I'm gonna go up and talk to him you know what I just don't think my husband would be thrilled about that right so um like just I don't want to become pharisaical but is an appropriate appreciation of beauty Mm -hmm. before it becomes a sin Mm mm-hmm come on, Joey, help us out. Like, where, <laughs> what is, what are we? Well, I'm just, I'm just thinking
1: around? of that scene from Dumb and Dumber, you know? Um, <laughs> whoa, check out the butt on that one. It's like, yeah, he must work out, you know? It's, <laughs> um, okay. So, right. Like, so like you said, there's um, the easiest thing is for us to say, here's the line, right? Cause we all know lines that are out of inbounds versus out of bounds. Right. You're out of bounds. You you know, you cross the line. Sometimes Um, super
0: helpful, honestly.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sometimes they are super helpful. And a lot of things are like, do not commit adultery. Like, hey, that's a line. Right. That's a great line. What Jesus is doing in Matthew five is saying, guys, okay, that's the line but do you understand the behavior that makes you want to cross the line do you understand the heart posture that makes you want to cross the line so let's let's take at a uh, take a stab at it first from the married perspective so you're in this you're in the store and you're like you just said it uh, you're like man that dude um i can tell he works out like you know wow um yes. <laughs> but my husband wouldn't appreciate it if i went out and like started fawning over him right um so right there is you've already answered the question is this thing, you know, that like, okay, I see this person. I'm like, I want to talk to them. Right. Is that going to make your uh, covenantal one flesh relationship with your husband stronger or weaker because you have noticed the beauty of another person, you notice there's that attraction to beauty. um, And then I think you use the word now I want to go appreciate it somehow. Right, um, maybe there's there's a a bit of a line there between attraction and appreciation. Um, attraction is being able to say like I see a beautiful thing and I see how it draws me. Appreciation um, starts to sound a little slimy almost, where you're like, now how it's do I appreciate expression. that? It's how do I express my it. attraction? Yeah. Right?
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and if you're married, then no, you don't express an attraction to you know. I would never in a store. Um, you know, walking with my wife, I'd never be like, wow, that person over there is really attractive. It's going to break down trust. It's going to break down what, I and mean, she's going to wonder like, okay, are you, what are you saying by that? Like, are you, are, you know, are, are you struggling right now? Like, are you having a hard time, or are you just expressing appreciation for somebody's beauty? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, generally not helpful. Uh, generally not helpful. But we also have to recognize like, and I, I wish I could pull the book off the shelf right now and find it real fast, but I'm not sure where it is in my disorganized stacks. Um, a, a, it's in a book called uh, You Are Not Your Own by Alan Noble. He teaches college students. And one of the things he tells college students, uh, he writes in this, in a section on, um, on how, the, the book is about how like this world is just not made to fit us. Um, yeah, it's a fallen world, right? and part of the ways it's fallen is in our sexuality. He says one of the things you have to come to terms with uh, when you get married is the fact that just because you got married doesn't mean the people at the gym are any less attractive than they were before. You will continue to meet smarter, more intelligent, and more beautiful people than the person you married for the rest of your life. What are you gonna do about that? If you can't, you know, the, the solution isn't to simply say, your spouse well you know i don't see any beauty um no one's as intelligent as you no one's whatever like the the solution to that is to say i have made a promise to you i have committed to you because i love you and love here we need to remember is not just a sense of attraction Mm -hmm. it is also the willful choice to desire to work for the good of the other i mean that's love we're going to talk about that more on sunday as well Mm -hmm. um I have chosen to work for to desire your good that's what i've chosen and so yes this other more intelligent person this other more beautiful person this other more whatever person um has no bearing on our relationship because i have chosen you
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, right so um so you're in the store you see this person and the the appropriate response is to I don't know, mentally, probably internally, just acknowledge there's an attractive person Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: move on. Yep. Right? That is a person God created beautiful and move on. Um, Because anything more than that doesn't help. It doesn't help bond you to your spouse in this one flesh covenantal union where you are expressing sexual attraction and your sexuality solely within the context of that union.
0: Yeah, yeah um all right so then from a single person
1: so say you're single right okay so you're single so a couple uh, a couple of things there um and this this first one can apply to the married person just as much as the single person if you see that person and you're like oh man that person's attractive i want to go engage talk whatever right when you're single and you are trying to get to know other people for the purpose of finding out like who, you know, who is a person that I could see myself with for the rest of my life. If you look at that person, and I didn't talk about this last Sunday, but if you look at that person and you're like, I would love to be the kind of person that that person will talk to, you're still using them. Right? Even if you're not using them in the, the way that Jesus was talking about in Matthew five, you know, seeking to possess them for what they can do for you sexually. But if you're going to that person and you're like, man, I want people to see me as the kind of person who can date a person like that. Then you're using that person, um, for your own ends. Largely we do that in our culture. We do that with people who are either rich or beautiful. Right. Um, so whichever one it is, like, you first have to kind of check yourself there and say like, Hey, are, are all of my criteria for who's dateable based on whether or not they're wealthy and whether or not they're beautiful? Why is that? Is that because I want to be seen as the kind of person who can date someone who's rich and or beautiful? Um, so that, that's, that's one area. Um, the second, you know, that kind of comes off of that is to say, um, okay, what are my criteria for what makes somebody beautiful more than just superficially attractive, where beauty is not simply the physical form, but there's the beauty of the physical form, but there's also the beauty of the, um, the spiritual form, the character of the yeah. person, the personality, the mind. whole, and the beauty of the mind, the be- yes. all of that, right? Yeah right? All of that. And in, in most healthy relationships, um, the, the beauty of the mind, the beauty of the person's character has to be the foundational beauty that one finds that one is attracted to because the beauty of the person fades. Yes. Right. It changes. It goes away. Um, what you look like on your, you know, when you're, Nineteen is not what you'll look like when you're 89. And if the relationship is based on that external, simply on the external experience or, the, or appearance or the external appearance first, like that will fade. And when that fades, um, you know your if your attraction is not to the rest of the person. Like you've got a problem, right? So you know why why am I attracted to this person? First of all, secondly, you know am I trying to use that person to feel Good about myself or be seen in a specific way. Third, what is my criteria for finding somebody? Um, and, and fourth is to again then ask in the same way that Jesus is asking us. If you're single and you see somebody who's attractive and you're like, "I would love to get to know that person." Um, are you do you want to get to know that person because you're you're on the way towards willing their good, choosing to love them, um, or are you you know on the way towards or are you trying to get to know that person because you're on the way towards Possessing them somehow.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What could they do for me? What could they like, do for me? That would make that, would, you know, could I imagine, you know, going on a date with her and like everyone would be jealous because she's yeah, so right? gorgeous or right? what could she do? You know, how would she make me feel if we were together in a relationship? Or yeah.
1: More, or yeah. boy, if I brought this kind of guy home, my mom would finally be proud of me or, um, right or well this is the kind of person that my family expects or um hey this is the kind of person who makes me feel so good you know um there there is in in um sort of in the phases of love whatever you want to call it right there is a um there is the willful chosen love that's what uh we would call agape or caritas or charity in the latin english tradition not charity in like giving alms but charity in the sense of i'm, I'm choosing this kind of love uh, caritas um, that is different than enchantment or infatuation enchantment or infatuation can as the relationship grows turn into a chosen love but it's very unreliable
2: mm.
1: what what's much better is choosing to love another person and that growing into, um, an erotic, um, attraction or a sexual attraction. Um, it's much, it's much better to sort of, um, come at it from the attracted to a person's character, attracted to their personality, attracted to their laugh and to all of this stuff into a physical attraction than the other way around. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, you just summed up why all the relationships on TV and, like, those reality TV shows probably don't last.
1: (laughs) Right, right.
0: Is it possible that women are better at that than men? Because you know how many relationships I've seen? And I'm like, how did that guy land that girl? And it's because (laughs) he must have incredible character and just, like, a beautiful mind right yeah like beautiful heart beautiful soul um not long ago my sister-in-law asked my other sister-in-law can you explain to me how those people got married because she is gorgeous and he is very not a beautiful man
1: (laughs) (laughs) no well it's it is interesting in that um in, uh, in Christine Emba's new book on Rethinking Sex, she's a Washington Post columnist, uh, a Roman Catholic and writing to a secular audience. I quoted her last week. Um, she talks about how, uh, and this is also building off of work uh, from a book called Premarital Sex in America that's 10, 12 years old or so now, that um, with the rise of accessibility of online pornography, the cost of um, of sex has gone down. Sex is cheaper than it mm-hmm. used to be. If you apply an economic model to understanding the dynamics between men and women. Um, and so, whereas in the past, in order for a, a male to get sex, he had to, the, the price was high. He had to commit in, 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 you know, not in all circumstances, of course, but in most cases, the general price was a lifetime commitment,
2: mm-hmm. right?
1: Talking purely economically. Um, as the price has gone down because the prevalence of online pornography to the point where like even Naomi Wolf pointed out that like real life people are just bad porn to most guys. Now, um, if the price has gone down so low, women have had to settle for a lot less. And this was written 10 years ago. Now, Christine Emba in her book says, um, that essentially what is happening is that women are willing to give so much more than they would in the past, not, not even to get a commitment, but to get the possibility of a commitment out of a guy. Um, and so in many ways, the, the, the pool of men who are willing to make a lifelong commitment to another woman uh, has shrunk. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting um, studies that Emba talks about is that um, when it comes to regrets in sexual relationships, most women, regret casual sex because what again speaking in generalities what makes sex meaningful for women is the commitment and the long term relationship so most women regret casual sex and most men regret missing an opportunity for casual sex so with the uh with the price of of what it takes uh to have access to regular sexual experience with the price of that going way down. Again, I'm, I know this is like really coarse economic language, but with the price of that going down, mm-hmm. women have had to settle for a much more inferior product. Sad to say.
0: Sad to say. No, Okay, that's really interesting. It's a and depressing
1: world been, out there, yeah.
0: Yeah, and was that 10 years ago you said that she
1: was So uh, she's writing, her book just came out this year, but the uh, Premarital Sex in America, the sociological study was published 10 or 12 okay. years ago. Okay. Uh, that's the one that says a hey, porn has affected every relationship. If the people are under 50 now, you know, I would say under 60, um, cause everyone's age. That's the book that also says like, Hey, um, if you live together, like we all believe, we all think if you live together before getting married, like that's a good way to test drive it. And he says, right. actually, if you live together before getting married, you are 33% more likely to divorce and women who live With a partner, multiple, you know, in serial monogamy, multiple partners in a row, um, every additional partner increases their divorce rate um, by a certain percentage to the point where if you've had, if you, if a woman has lived with three men in a row, she's something like 60 or 70% likely for the next marriage to end in a a divorce.
0: Mm, Wow.
1: And, you know, you can see the same thing happening in um, uh, dating app culture, in Tinder, in other places where. Um, it it, is fascinating that the, a person's, um, satisfaction with a choice goes down, um, the more options they have for making that choice. If you go to the store and there's two kinds of peanut butter and you get one, you're happy with it. If you go to the store and there's 40 kinds of spaghetti sauce. And you pick one, you're like, how do I know that was the right one? Because there were 39 others. There was a study done, an experiment done a decade or so ago in which college students were told they could come in and they could choose one of two paintings to take home with them. And they were asked immediately, like, how satisfied are you with your choice? And then they were asked again a week later, how satisfied are you with your choice? And um, half the students were told, hey, choose a painting. uh, But hey, if you don't like it, don't worry about it. You can always trade it in for the other one. Uh, And the other half was told, hey, choose well because this is it. This is your choice. And you would think that the ones who knew they had a second choice would be more satisfied, but they were actually less. So those who chose a painting and were stuck with it, a week later reported they were more satisfied with that choice than those who picked the painting and then went home wondering if they'd picked the right one because they still had the choice of getting the other mm-hmm. one if they'd wanted to. So they were less satisfied with their choice. Yeah. They so, questioned it a little bit. Yeah. They questioned it. Exactly. Now think about that in terms of Tinder uh, or a dating app. If you look at a person on there you're like, I like this person, but in the back of my, of your mind, you're like, there's a thousand more that could be better. How satisfied are you going to be with having chosen that person, even if it's just for a dating relationship, much less a marriage. If you go into a marriage thinking, gosh, there were a thousand other people I could have chosen from, you know, then your overall satisfaction with that that marriage goes down. Um, so the, the the commodification of people through dating apps um and those things is is literally changing the way we think about relationships and sex and commitment long term and the the solution is either you know reinvesting a lot of meaning into the commitment or just removing the commitment portion altogether which is why there's some that are advocating that marriage should be more like leasing a car and every year you kind of both come back to the table and say hey what do you think should we keep going with this um People have experimented with that. And one woman, I can't remember who this was, um, said this was our relationship. And she said it, it, it fell apart after five years because every year was an audition to get the, her husband to stick around for another year. And when every year's an audition, then sex is marketing and you are trying to convince the other person by the things that you're doing that you're the best option they can find. I mean that is it's exhausting that is the exact opposite of a one flesh commitment and it is like god designed us so that we can only thrive sexually within the context of of a lifetimes committed trust that it's you have to have that safe environment in order to really come to know another person and to love and be loved in the way you, you long for and the way we all desire
0: Yeah, you need that security. Just knowing, I mean, it's just even like, let's just not even talk about sex. It's just like, man, I screwed up. I'm really, Nathan said something really ugly, like some sin, right? And I am, it's not like it doesn't make my sin okay, but it's comforting knowing he can't go anywhere because we're in a covenant marriage. Right. And it's nice. It's just so safe knowing that i don't have to Absolutely. be perfect whether in our sexual relationship or in our marriage or in any of these places because he can't go anywhere like we can work this out and i get the chance right. to have like conform um more and more into christ likeness and he gets to be along for the ride and sometimes it's beautiful and sometimes it's ugly but it's so so safe knowing that he's mm-hmm. in it with mm-hmm. me right
1: for sure and and it, it, you're right and it sounds harsh to say he can't go anywhere yeah it's like no he voluntarily chose to bind himself into the future um so that uh when it was difficult he wouldn't go anywhere
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: because it was more important to stay through the difficulty um i think you know it probably took jenna and i 12 years 13 years um before we finally realized like right because we're like every other couple in terms of our um, appetites or sexual appetites like how often do we want to come together and be together it's like we're different um and it took a decade for us to realize and the way we say it now is like marriage means we'll be here tomorrow and if marriage means we'll be here tomorrow then what happens today is nowhere near as important as what happens over this long stretch of days that Mm -hmm. we are together. And so, you know, our miscommunication today or our fight today or our mismatch of expectations today, none of that is as important as, hey, you know, which direction are we going in over the course of all of our days, right? So like, if one of us wants to do something and the other doesn't, then instead of insisting on our rights or duties, we can just say, hey, marriage means we'll both be here tomorrow and tomorrow's not today. Tomorrow will be different. Um, and even if it's the same marriage means we'll both be here the next day too. Um, this isn't about me getting what I need or you getting what you need. This is about both of us expressing to each other that marriage means we'll be here tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So Mm
0: -hmm. I thought that i just had a single person listening to this. Hmm. They don't get the, the benefit of a, covenant relationship where somebody Mm is not they don't have to be afraid Mm -hmm. that someone's going to leave and that is um exhausting
1: well you know three quick thoughts one is there are friendships where people have bound themselves to one another in a covenant um in a covenant of friendship one that says we commit to one another that we are going to live in the same area that neither one of us can move or change jobs or whatever, without talking it over with the other. There's no sexual component to it. It's simply saying we are binding ourselves together in this community. That's what monasteries did, um, Mm -hmm. bound people together in a friendship um, and made took oaths for it. Uh, The second is I would wanna immediately point that person to saying, look, (laughs) there is one who will never leave you.
2: Um,
1: And I know, Faith in in Christ is is real, it is tangible um, it is often seen and experienced through other people and some you know the closest experience I have of Jesus and in the Holy Spirit is through my wife and so I understand for a single person like that that can be difficult um, to know that Jesus will never leave you but saying also I just want to hug right and and I, I can't get that out of um, being you know out of being single. Um, I can't just get that hug. Um, But the third thought here is us married folks need to remember that our future state and where all of this sexuality and our sexual desire is drawing towards or pointing towards is like the whole reason we are drawn to one another and drawn to union is because it's a picture and a foreshadowing of our union with Christ, of our union with God through Christ. And that the reason there's no marriage in heaven, there's no need for marriage in heaven, is that we will know and be united to one another through Jesus so much more profoundly, deeply, and personally than even we are in a marriage relationship right now. Mm -hmm. And so the married person living out their sexuality with that future in mind um, is holding on to this union But holding on to it, knowing it's just a picture of what will come. And the single person living out their sexuality in light of the coming kingdom uh, is holding on to their chastity, their faithfulness, just like a married person is. But they're holding on to their faithfulness, knowing knowing that even that that draw and that desire towards other people in them is really a desire for God that will one day in the kingdom to come be fully satisfied uh, when they will know Christ uh, face to face Mm -hmm. and know one another for the first time. Mm
0: hmm. And I feel like you answered the last question there, which is perfect about like what role would marriage have in heaven if it's bond, yeah, to be right.
1: And that that's a great question. I sh- I could have been a little clearer, you know, in saying that um, hey, the bond I'm talking about is the fact that you created another human being, and I don't think you're going to get to heaven and not know each other, mm-hmm. right? So you will be eternally bound to, in some sense, some way, to the you know the other human beings you've created um, through your union. So. It, you know eternity is at stake uh, whenever we have sex
0: <laughs> no big deal
1: no big deal it's just eternity that's at stake yeah
0: but also tomorrow there's always tomorrow so but there's
1: also tomorrow so you know you don't have eternity to create eternity tonight yeah yeah